Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you remind us that it is in our weakness that your strength is magnified. Help us to ever remember this and cling to you, not trying to to rely on our self-reliance, but rely on you in all things. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in thy strength. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. So yesterday morning before I um, came into, we came into the rummage sale, I decided it was high time that I cleaned out our laundry room. I won't say we all have that room because I suspect that at least some of you are more organized. But I do think a lot of us have that room where things just go to be forgotten. All right, at least Ted has that room. (laughs) For some reason, the laundry room became that room, and as I cleaned it out, I found a lot of things that I was like, well, I don't entirely know why we still even have this. But now the laundry room looks a lot nicer. But our hearts can be a lot like our laundry room, or that room, whatever it is for you, whether it be some room on the side of your house or your garage or your shed. We just kind of put stuff away in there and hope we kind of forget about it. Jacob is a lot like that. If we remember or if we don't remember, let's kind of go over his track record and those things that I think probably he shuffled to the back of his heart or his mind, hoping that he would forget them. First, he made what I might call a killer bargain with his brother for his inheritance. He offered him, I think it was a cup of soup or something, and Esau wisely gave him his entire inheritance. But if that wasn't enough, Jacob then went and stole his brother's blessing, pretending to be Esau and flat out lying to his father so that he could get Esau's blessing. So now Jacob has his brother's inheritance, his brother's blessing. But then he goes off to find a wife, from his family back in Haran. And what does he do there? If, if you remember or if you don't remember, he gets two wives because, well, his father-in-law is as kind and loving of a person as he is. <clears throat> but then he swindles his brother, his father-in-law, rather, for his livestock. There's this weird thing where he somehow makes the goats have sheep, and then he gets, or goats have, not sheep, makes the goats have spots. And somehow he gets all the ones that he wants and leaves all the bad ones behind for his father-in-law. And so now he's running from his father-in-law, heading straight towards his brother, neither of whom he's pretty sure likes him very much. And so as we, as we ramp up to what we read this morning, he kind of hedges his bets, if you will, and he sends one group of people in one direction and another group of people in another direction, probably most likely in hopes that if things go bad, he can flee and and cut his losses and and not lose everything. Our uh, hero, if you will, is not so heroic. He's much more of a not-so-great person. And despite the fact that last week we read about how Jacob met God at Bethel, his heart still seems to be hard. He still seems to make these selfish self-reliant choices, despite the fact that there was that beautiful promise made to him. God said to him, I will be with you wherever you go. 
And yet, who is Jacob depending upon this morning? Jacob is depending upon himself. His cart, I think, is kind of like that room, kind of like our laundry room where we just kind of stuck stuff and tried not to deal with it until it got to be a little bit too annoying. In all of his sin and self-reliance is now boiling to the surface. Something must be done about it. <clears throat> My friends, before we even dive into the text, it reminds us, Jacob reminds us of this very simple truth. If you do not check your heart, if you do not check your sins and see what they might be doing in your lives, your heart will become like that room where you just close the door and forget about it until you end up like Jacob with all this stuff boiling up, all your self-reliance coming to a head. And so we meet Jacob this fateful night. For whatever reason, he's left alone on the bank. He set everybody off. Some think that well, he sent off his family and his wife as a, as, a, as a buffer between himself and Esau. A lot of people vehemently disagree with this, and I think I fall into that second camp, that that's not quite what's happening here. For some reason, though, Jacob wants to be left alone. And there's a bit of a mystery here, but it's probably much more like that night where you have a lot on your mind and you just need to sit and be quiet because you know that something big is about to happen. The text doesn't give us much clue beyond that. But there on that riverbank, he's left alone. And then all of a sudden, in that aloneness, a man appears and starts to wrestle with him. And this is a really weird scene, right? If it was Hollywood that was making this up, you know, we would hear about the man. You know, he was farming and he saw this annoying guy and he had a lot of money. Maybe he'd get some money from him or something. And they met in the bank and they wrestled. And you know, the wrestle scene, of course, would be like the entire story. But this isn't Hollywood, this is scripture. And sometimes scripture just leaves us with some questions. Like, why is this man wrestling with him? We don't know yet. We will know, but right now we don't. And we don't even see the wrestle scene, you know. You don't hear about how strong Jacob was and how strong the man was. It just goes and goes and goes and goes. We don't know exactly when it starts, but it's at least several hours of wrestling in this riverbed. When all of a sudden... The dawn starts to rise, and the man just punches him in the, in the hip and dislocates it. Now, I don't know a ton about anatomy, but I have it on good sources that it takes quite a bit of force to dislocate a hip. If you've dislocated a hip, you've done something pretty catastrophic. And if you and I were wrestling in a creek bank all night, well, you'd be pretty fortunate because by the morning I'd be pretty tired, but <laughs> probably you would be too, and there wouldn't be much of a chance that you could dislocate my hip. And all of a sudden, in this hip dislocation, we get a hint at who this man is, right? Because you and I can't do that, even, even in our primes, even when we were really strong and, and actually working out regularly, we probably couldn't dislocate somebody else's hip. This man had some sort of supernatural strength. <clears throat> but there's something else that happens in this dislocation of the hip. In striking somebody's hip, or in striking Jacob's hip, the man forces him to fall. And have you ever noticed when you fall, and I fall every now and again, I don't have the best balance, you just reach for whatever you can 
to stabilize you. And what is left for the stabilized Jacob? But this man, he reaches out and he grabs the man. And we hear, you know, we're not just hypothesizing here because eventually the man says, no, no, you need to let go of me because I've got to go. <laughs> but Jacob reaches out and grabs him and won't let go of him. And so by now in the supernatural force of this punch, we might be realizing this man is more than a man. This man is God. And in punching, ja- punching Jacob in the hip, all of a sudden Jacob is brought to depend upon God, not himself. And we're often a lot more like Jacob than we care to admit. We like Jacob. <clears throat> we like Jacob not only have all this junk in our heart that sometimes we just try to hide away and pretend isn't there, but we also like to depend upon our cleverness instead of God's provision and kindness. This morning, the, I've, I've been all thrown off because Christianette actually had some really good conversations at the very end, and I got kind of stuck in all of those conversations. But one of the things we were talking about is what would happen if you went home and you turned on the news and something terrible had happened. And our tendency is to become almost despondent in that terrible thing, right? Just be like, oh my goodness, this is awful. Or we might scramble to just find a solution. What can I do to protect myself and my family? And of course, protecting your family is a good instinct. But in those moments, especially those awful moments, those moments where you're confronted with things, whether it be your own sin or someone else's sin or some struggle, the call is not to depend upon your cleverness. The call is to depend upon God's provision and trust and know his kindness. St. Paul is an interesting example of this. If we remember St. Paul's story, he started off as a, it seems like a pretty prestigious Pharisee. And part of his job was to kind of crush this fledgling heretical sect. We, by the way, are that fledgling heretical sect. He did not succeed in crushing us. Partly because on the way to crush another sect, another group of these people, something happened. Much like Jacob, he is struck down on the road and blinded. Now, later on, he'll refer to some sort of impairment that he asked the Lord over and over and over again. Three times, he says, Heal me of this impairment. And the Lord says, no, in this my grace is sufficient. It is my opinion that this impairment is the leftover effects of being struck down and blinded. And he got healed, but not completely. So he still had the remnants of this blindness. He still had this sense that he couldn't completely see because he at first did not see at all. And in that, He had to trust the Lord. In that, he was continuously reminded his need for the Lord. And going back to Jacob, he asks for a second blessing. Just like Jacob wanted a blessing from his father, he wants a blessing from this man. He wants a blessing from God because by now it seems like he's probably figured out who he's wrestling with. And just like Isaac, his father, asked Jacob who his, what his name was, this man asks Jacob 
what his name is. It's not like God doesn't know who he's wrestling with in the creek bed. But it's almost that same redemptive act that we see with Peter, who denies Christ three times, and then Christ asks him three times after the resurrection, Peter, do you love me? And Peter, of course, says, yes, I love you. So much like that, Jacob has this chance, will he, will he be honest about who he is, or will he hide it under a bushel again? But he tells him this time, my name is Jacob. <clears throat> and so now we start to get, and so here, God acts towards Jacob. And we get the second clue that this is God and not just a mere man, because he renames Jacob. He renames him Israel, a derivation of he struggled with God and with man, or with God. <clears throat> and much like Jacob's monument, which was meant to be a reminder that God was with him, the name would then act to remind him. You struggled with God, and your hip now hurts every day because God was there, because God is with you. And so he has this reminder, much like St. Paul, much like you or I might have a reminder of God's sufficiency, of God's grace in our lives. Jacob's renamed, so there's never a doubt in his mind who is in charge, who is sufficient. But God also says something else that puzzles me. And I don't like things that puzzle me, especially in Scripture. I, I spend more time thinking about those moments. But he tells Jacob that he's prevailed. And I wonder why he was saying you've prevailed, because it almost sounds like, it's like, well, good job, Jacob. You've wrestled with a lot of people. That's really wonderful. I don't think that that's what's going on, and I don't, don't like telling you things that I'm not 100% sure on, but I think what's happening here, I'm breaking one of my cardinal rules that I always yell at the people that are learning to preach and teach and stuff, so don't, don't say think, especially when you're preaching, but I'm going to say think here because I'm still puzzled by this a little bit. I think what's happening here is that all of these things that Jacob did, all of his sin... And all of the sin enacted towards him could have broken him. All of the sin that acts towards you and all of your sin and your hardness of heart could break you. But we have a gift if we are in Christ. That Christ is redeeming you. And Christ's sufficiency brings you through this. And so my friends, whatever heartbreak you might have this morning... Whatever sorrows, whatever sin, as deep and dark as they might be, your story isn't over. Cling, cling to Christ, and He can transform your heart. And so the man leaves, having blessed him and having renamed him. And Jacob realizes what an amazing thing has happened, what a gracious and deep thing has happened. And he names the place. Canel. And he says, I have seen God face to face. And this is a wild moment, right? Seeing God face to face is an amazing thing, a thing that in our sinfulness is almost forbidden because to see God's glory in that depth and breadth means death. When Moses sees God and when Elijah sees God, in both cases, the fullness of God's glory is veiled to them. 
He, he lets Elijah see the back of him. He has Moses look away. He's veiled. But in this case, the fight took place at night. And so much even at night, as you wrestle with that man, his face was veiled by the darkness. But he knows who it was that he saw. He knows that it is God that he wrestled with in that creek bed. And it is because of God's mercy that he brings Jacob to his knees and reveals a part of himself there that night. Jacob knows he should have died, and yet he lived because God is merciful, even to someone as such a hard heart as Jacob. And ultimately, for you and I, that is our hope. We cling to Christ, we pray to Christ, we trust Christ's sufficiency in our weakness, because that is our hope that one day we too will see him face to face. We will experience that joy in eternity. This is our hope that allows us to prevail, that allows us to continue on, even if this afternoon we turn on the news and something terrible has happened. We prevail because we know in Christ we will see God face to face. As we wrap up, it's really easy to read this story about one of Jacob being needing to, to, to face some deep, dark demon or clean out his heart, like clean out like we cleaned out our laundry room yesterday morning or some other man-centered understanding. But this ultimately isn't about Jacob. It's about what God did for Jacob. And not only what God did for Jacob, but what God did for his people. God brings Jacob into dependency upon him so that his descendants can look back and say, remember how Jacob was dependent upon God after this? We too must be dependent upon him. It's about being brought into the presence of God. It's really easy to make our story about ourselves. Our salvation, well, I came to know Christ at this and such and such a point, and I'm doing this and I'm doing that, but the actor in your salvation, the one who deserves all the glory and who has done all the work is not you. At the center of your salvation is God and his glory. At the center of you being saved, it is being done for his glory, and he deserves the credit. Our practice of baptizing our children speaks to this. It is a testament that we trust that God will act towards our children and that he will make them his. It, of course, does not free us from responsibility. Parents are called to catechize their children and raise them up in the faith, and grandparents are called to encourage their children to do the same. And so, in this, it's an act of faith that it is God who saves, not us. And like Jacob, we trust that one day we will see God face to face. But first, in the here and now, we learn, like Jacob learned as his hip came out of socket, to be fully dependent upon God. Because that is the only way that we truly see him face to face. This story is not about us. It is not about how we earn our salvation. It is about 
God getting the glory. It is about God taking Jacob and bringing him to his knees so that he would one day see him face to face. Our salvation is the same way. It is about God working in us to bring him glory. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.